Now Maggie's going to come up and uh, give us our reading for this morning. The reading is from Luke 19, verses 28 to 40. After Jesus had said this, he went up ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the, is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maggie. Let's pray that we'll be really open to what God would say to us this morning. Lord, thank you for this time of year, the opportunity to celebrate and reflect on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem this morning but also all that's in store in these days ahead as we reflect on the meaning and the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. May we each be open to you speaking to us afresh this Easter, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, great. Good to see you all. And uh, we're now about halfway through our series, um, All Things New. And we're journeying through scripture together, standing on the brink of a defining moment in history. Everything that's gone before and everything that follows only makes sense in the light of the events that we celebrate in these days ahead. We've used the language quite a bit of uh, creation, followed by decreation, followed by recreation. And this journey is tied together in these next few days, in these moments in history, which have recriminations and implications for all of humanity. And today on Palm Sunday, we begin to set our gaze towards the cross. Did you notice, by the way, that uh, in Luke's gospel, there was something missing on this Palm Sunday? There was no mention of palms. In Luke's Gospel, it's all about cloaks, but it would have been a bit expensive for us to give you all a cloak rather than a palm, so I'm quite relieved that uh, we went with the whole scope of the Gospel story. 
But we're reminded, aren't we, that some of those who were crying Hosanna and were laying down their cloaks as Jesus entered the city would soon be shouting, crucify him, as the mood changed a few days later. And so we're set up for Holy Week. And at the end of it, we mark the heart-wrenching death of the Messiah and his glorious rising to life. In our race through scripture so far over these past few weeks, we've been reminded of creation and humanity's role as image bearers of God. We've reflected on the fall, humanity's rebellion against God and desire to go their own way. We've seen a recurring cycle of disobedience followed by restoration, a people never quite seem to learn their lesson. And we've seen how frail humanity's relationship with a perfect and holy God has been marred, and yet he's never stopped loving them. But still they've proved incapable, it seems, of loving him properly. In recent weeks, we've begun to reflect on the way in which a heartbroken God has responded, how he's taken action by sending his own son to live on earth amongst us in an act of supreme love. In him, God's kingdom values are lived out and his kingdom rule expressed. But still, humanity goes its own way. And Jesus himself hints at what will be needed for humanity's broken relationship with its creator to be restored. Cue Holy Week. Beginning with a triumphal procession, appearing to end with a tragic death and a failed mission, but culminating in the supreme triumph of the risen Saviour. A real emotional roller coaster. And I'd really encourage you in these days ahead to engage fully with that journey as we go through this week. And encourage you to read one of the passion narratives. To take the time just to read those few chapters of one of the Gospels and reflect on its significance. Maybe to watch a film portrayal of the events of that first Easter week. And of course to join us here for services on Maundy Thursday, on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. The cross, this great symbol of our faith, divides opinion. For some it's a place of victory and ultimate hope. Sin defeated, death overcome. Others have gone as far as to say that this represents cosmic child abuse. What loving God would send his own son to die so cruelly on a cross? And to combat that view, we have to grapple with concepts of God's wrath as well as concepts of God's love. Maybe you struggle with the idea of an angry God. But Tom Wright, one of the great theologians of our day, has helpfully put it like this. It's quite a long quote. It's going to be on the screen. Hopefully. Sorry, can we have the next one, please, Julie? There we go. 
Just think about this one. The biblical doctrine of God's wrath is rooted in the doctrine of God as the good, wise, and loving creator who hates, yes, hates, and hates implacably anything that spoils, defaces, distorts, or damages his beautiful creation. And in particular, anything that does that to his image-bearing creatures. If God does not hate racial prejudice, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not wrathful at child abuse, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from his creation in an act of proper wrath and judgment the arrogance that allows people to exploit, bomb, bully and enslave one another, he is neither loving nor good nor wise. You see, God has a right to be angry. But the message of the cross is a message of an anger that is not primarily about retribution, but about restoration. He gives fallen humanity a way out, a means of salvation, a hope for eternity. And he does so by giving of himself. Jesus the Son is one with God the Father, and so in his death we see what's been described as a self-substitution of God. He gives of himself in the person of Jesus, the one perfect human being ever to have lived, so that our sin and failings could be dealt with, and our broken relationship with God could be restored. No longer would we have to offer sacrifices to God as the Israelites did, because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. As we're reminded in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what we're celebrating over these coming days is not the story of an angry father punishing his son, it's of a loving father giving of himself for us. And at the cross, we experience both forgiveness and restoration. If we can go back to that previous image, uh, Julian. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you grew up with the Good News Bible, the version of the Good News Bible with all of the illustrations in it. There's a few nods. There are certainly a few nods at 9.15 as well. Annie Vallotton was a Swiss-French artist who set out to simplify the gospel message with the use of illustration. And so in particular versions of the Good News Bible, in fact, they've sold 225 million copies, so she's uh, actually one of the best-selling artists of all time. In particular versions of the Good News Bible, you've got all of these illustrations at different points across the pages. And this is the one, or one of those, that resonates most with me. It's actually used to illustrate Romans 6, verse 6, where Paul writes about us no longer being slaves of sin. And so you've got someone carrying their burdens, carrying their burdens to the cross and leaving them there at the cross so that they can walk on in freedom, released from guilt and shame. 
a new creation. We have to grasp both the realities of being forgiven, but also of being restored and moving forward. The new start that God provides as we accept and respond to the message of the cross. That enables us then to live lives as his disciples, free of that guilt and shame that can hold us back so easily. It ties in with what Nigel shared last week about the practice of kintsugi, that Japanese art, the injection of gold. The next slide, please. Bringing fresh beauty and restoration to a broken vessel. There's one final image to share with you. In fact, it's um, also on this uh, poster I picked up from the National Gallery a few years ago. Many of you will be familiar with this uh, image. The poster actually only has the top half of the image. It's of Salvador Dali's Christ of St. John of the Cross. With the crucified Jesus suspended high above an image of the world. In fact, the image there is the image of an ordinary fishing scene in Dali's home village. It draws out the relevance of Jesus' death to the everyday things of the world. And in the painting, there are no nails in Jesus' hands. There's a sense that his love for humanity in itself held him there at the cross. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to trivialise or even ignore the cross as we carry on with our ordinary, everyday lives. And yet we do so at our peril. Ignoring it, we risk the judgment of God. Embrace it, and we receive eternal life. And so, as we continue to worship this morning, and as we go through this into this Holy Week, let's reflect, let's take time to reflect on the enormity of what Jesus has done for us. And let's grapple with the implications for us and for our needy world. Why don't we stand together? The band are going to come up. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs of worship in response. But um, first of all, going to lead us in a prayer. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's hold before us these, these crosses, these simple symbols, but powerful symbols, reminding us of all that Jesus has done for us. And let's join in with this prayer as we hold these crosses high as a sign of our commitment to following the Christ who suffered and died for us. We join together in praying. God, our Saviour, whose Son, Jesus Christ, entered Jerusalem as Messiah to suffer and to die, let these palms be for us signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our King and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.